0: Chapter Ten of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Ten. The doctor calls on Elsie Venner. If that primitive physician, Chiron M.D appears as a centaur as we look at him through the lapse of thirty centuries the modern country doctor if he could be seen about thirty miles off could not be distinguished from a wheel animalcule he inhabits a wheel carriage he thinks of stationary dwellings as long tom coffin did of land in general a house may be well enough for incidental purposes but for a steady residence give him a carriage if he is classified in the linnaean scale he must be set down thus genus homo species rotifer infusioris the wheel animal of infusions the dudley mansion was not a mile from the doctor's but it never occurred to him to think of walking to see any of his patients families if he had any professional object in his visit. Whenever the narrow sulky turned in at a gate, the rustic who was digging potatoes, or hoeing corn, or swishing through the grass with his scythe in wave-like crescents, or stepping short behind a loaded wheelbarrow, or trudging lazily by the side of the swinging, loose-throated, short-legged oxen, rocking along the road as if they had just been landed, After a three months' voyage, the toiling native, whatever he was doing, stopped and looked up at the house the doctor was visiting. "'Somebody's sick over there, to Haines. Guess the old man's ailin' again. Winder's halfway open in the chamber. Shouldn't wonder if he was dead and laid out. Doctorin' ain't no use when you see the winders open like that. Well... Money ain't much to speak of to the old man now. He don't want but two cents, and old Whittapique she knows what he wants them for. Or again, measles round putty thick. Briggs folks buried two children with em last week. The doctor he'd ha carried them through, stuck in and produced modification, so they say. This is only meant as a sample of the kind of way they used to think or talk when the narrow sulky turned in at the gate of some house where there was a visit to be made. Oh, that narrow sulky! What hopes, what fears, what comfort, what anguish, what despair! In the roll of its coming or its parting wheels! In the spring, when the old people get the coughs, which give them a few shakes and their lives drop in pieces like the ashes of a burned thread which have kept the thread-like shape until they were stirred in the hot summer noons when the strong man comes in from the fields like the son of the Shunamite, crying my head my head in the dying autumn days when youth and maiden lie fever-stricken in many a household still-faced dull-eyed dark-flushed dry-lipped low muttering in their daylight dreams their fingers moving singly like those of slumbering harpers in the dead winter when the white plague of the north has caged its wasted victims shuddering as they think of the frozen soil which must be quarried like rock to receive them if their perpetual convalescence should happen to be interfered with by any untoward incident at every season the narrow sulky rolled round freighted with unmeasured burdens of joy and woe the doctor drove along the southern foot of the mountain the dudley mansion was near the eastern edge of this declivity where it rose steepest with baldest cliffs and densest patches of overhanging wood it seemed almost too steep to climb but a practised eye could see from a distance the zigzag lines of the sheep paths which scaled it like miniature alpine roads. A few hundred feet up the mountain side was a dark deep dell unwooded save for a few spindling crazy-looking hackmatacks or native larches with pallid green tufts sticking out fantastically all over them. It shelved so deeply that, while the hemlock-tassels were swinging on the trees around its border, all would be still at its springing bottom, save that perhaps a single fern would wave slowly backward and forward, like a sabre with a twist, as of a feathered oar, and this when not a breath could be felt, and every other stem and blade were motionless. There was an old story of one having perished here in the winter of 86, and his body having been found in the spring whence its common name of dead man's hollow higher up there were huge cliffs with chasms and it was thought concealed caves where in old times they said that tories lay hid some hinted not without occasional aid and comfort from the dudleys then living in the mansion-house still higher and farther west lay the accursed ledge shunned by all unless it were now and then a daring youth or a wandering naturalist who ventured to its edge in the hope of securing some infantile crotalus durissus who had not yet cut his poison teeth long long ago in old colonial times the honorable thomas dudley esq a man of note and name and great resources allied by descent to the family of Tom Dudley, as the early governor is sometimes irreverently called by our most venerable, but still youthful, antiquary, and to the other public Dudleys, of course, of all of whom he made small account as being himself an English gentleman with little taste for the splendors of provincial office. Early in the last century, Thomas Dudley had built this mansion, For several generations it had been dwelt in by descendants of the same name, but soon after the revolution it passed by marriage into the hands of the Venners, by whom it had ever since been held and tenanted. As the doctor turned an angle in the road, all at once the stately old house rose before him. It was a skilfully managed effect, as it well might be, for it was no vulgar English architect, who had planned the mansion and arranged its position and approach. The old house rose before the doctor, crowning a terraced garden, flanked at the left by an avenue of tall elms. The flower-beds were edged with box, which diffused around it that dreamy balsamic odor full of antenatal reminiscences of a lost paradise, dimly fragrant as might be the delium of ancient Havilah, the land compassed by the river Pison that went out of Eden. The garden was somewhat neglected, but not in disgrace, and in the time of tulips and hyacinths, of roses, of snowballs, of honeysuckles, of lilacs, of syringas, it was rich with blossoms. From the front windows of the mansion, the eye reached a far blue mountain summit. No rounded heap, such as often shuts in a village landscape, but a sharp peak clean-angled as a scutney from the dartmouth green a wide gap through miles of woods had opened this distant view and showed more perhaps than all the labors of the architect and the landscape gardener the large style of the early dudleys the great stone chimney of the mansion-house was the center from which all the artificial features of the scene appeared to flow the roofs the gables the dormer windows the porches the clustered offices in the rear all seemed to crowd about the great chimney to this central pillar the paths all converged the single poplar behind the house nature is jealous of proud chimneys and always loves to put a poplar near one so that it may fling a leaf or two down its black throat every autumn this one tall poplar behind the house seemed to nod and whisper the grave-square column, the elms to sway their branches towards it, and when the blue smoke rose from its summit it seemed to be wafted away to join the azure haze which hung around the peak in the far distance, so that both should bathe in a common atmosphere. Behind the house were clumps of lilacs, with a century's growth upon them, and looking more like trees than like shrubs. Shaded by a group of these was the ancient well, of huge circuit, and with a low arch opening out of its wall about ten feet below the surface, whether the door of a crypt for the concealment of treasure, or of a subterranean passage, or merely of a vault for keeping provisions cool in hot weather, opinions differed. On looking at the house it was plain that it was built with old-world notions of strength and durability, and, so far as might be, with old-world materials the hinges of the doors stretched out like arms instead of like hands as we make them the bolts were massive enough for a donjon keep the small window panes were actually enclosed in the wood of the sashes instead of being stuck to them with putty as in our modern windows the broad staircase was of easy ascent and was guarded by quaintly turned and twisted balusters the ceilings of the two rooms of state were molded with medallion portraits and rustic figures such as may have been seen by many readers in the famous old phillips house washington's headquarters in the town of yorkers the fireplaces worthy of the wide-throated central chimney were bordered by pictured tiles some of them with scripture stories some with watteau-like figures tall damsels in slim waists, and with spread enough of skirt for a modern ballroom, with bowing, reclining, or musical swains of what everybody calls the conventional sort, that is, the swain adapted to genteel society rather than to a literal, sheep-compelling existence. The house was furnished, soon after it was completed, with many heavy articles made in London from a rare wood just then come into fashion not so rare now and commonly known as mahogany time had turned it very dark and the stately bedsteads and tall cabinets and claw-footed chairs and tables were in keeping with the sober dignity of the ancient mansion the old hangings were yet preserved in the chambers faded but still showing their rich patterns properly entitled to their name for they were literally hung upon flat wooden frames like trellis-work which again were secured to the naked partitions there were portraits of different date on the walls of the various apartments old painted coats of arms bevel-edged mirrors and in one sleeping-room a glass case of wax-work flowers and spangly symbols with a legend signifying that e m supposed to be elizabeth masquerine wished not to be forgot when i am dead and laid in dust and all my bones are poor e m poor everybody that sighs for earthly remembrance in a planet with a core of fire and a crust of fossils such was the dudley mansion house for it kept its ancient name in spite of the change in the line of descent its spacious apartments looked dreary and desolate for here Dudley Venner and his daughter dwelt by themselves, with such servants only as their quiet mode of life required. He almost lived in his library, the western room on the ground floor. Its window looked upon a small plat of green, in the midst of which was a single grave marked by a plain marble slab. Except this room, and the chamber where he slept, and the servant's wing, the rest of the house was all Elsie's she was always a restless wandering child from her early years and would have her little bed moved from one chamber to another flitting round as the fancy took her sometimes she would drag a mat and a pillow into one of the great empty rooms and wrapping herself in a shawl coil up and go to sleep in a corner nothing frightened her the haunted chamber with the torn hangings that flapped like wings when there was air stirring was one of her favorite retreats. She had been a very hard creature to manage. Her father could influence, but not govern her. Old Sophie, born of a slave mother in the house, could do more with her than anybody, knowing her by long, instinctive study. The other servants were afraid of her. Her father had sent for governesses, but none of them ever stayed long. She made them nervous. One of them had a strange fit of sickness not one of them ever came back to the house to see her a young spanish woman who taught her dancing succeeded best with her for she had a passion for that exercise and had mastered some of the most difficult dances long before this period she had manifested some most extraordinary singularities of taste or instinct the extreme sensitiveness of her father on this point prevented any allusion to them But there were stories floating round some of them even getting into the papers without her name of course which were of a kind to excite intense curiosity if not more anxious feelings this thing was certain that at the age of twelve she was missed one night and was found sleeping in the open air under a tree like a wild creature very often she would wander off by day always without a companion "'bringing home with her a nest, a flower, "'or even a more questionable trophy of her ramble, "'such as showed that there was no place "'where she was afraid to venture. "'Once in a while she had stayed out overnight, "'in which case the alarm was spread "'and men went in search of her, but never successfully, "'so that some said she hid herself in trees, "'and others that she had found one of the old tory caves.' some of course said she was a crazy girl and ought to be sent to an asylum but old dr kittridge had shaken his head and told them to bear with her and let her have her way as much as they could but watch her as far as possible without making her suspicious of them he visited her now and then under the pretext of seeing her father on business or of only making a friendly call the doctor fastened his horse outside the gate and walked up the garden alley. He stopped suddenly with a start. A strange sound had jarred upon his ear. It was a sharp, prolonged rattle, continuous, but rising and falling, as if in rhythmical cadence. He moved softly towards the open window, from which the sound seemed to proceed. Elsie was alone in the room, dancing one of those wild moorish fandangos, such as a matador hot from the plaza de torres of Seville or madrid might love to lie and gaze at she was a figure to look upon in silence the dancing frenzy must have seized upon her while she was dressing for she was in her bodice bare-armed her hair floating unbound far below the waist of her barred or banded skirt she had caught up her castanets and rattled them as she danced with a kind of passionate fierceness her lithe body undulating with fluctuous grace, her diamond eyes glittering, her round arms wreathing and unwinding, alive and vibrant to the tips of the slender fingers. Some passion seemed to exhaust itself in this dancing paroxysm, for all at once she reeled from the middle of the floor and flung herself, as it were in a careless coil, upon a great tiger's skin. "'which was spread out in one corner of the apartment. "'The old doctor stood motionless, looking at her "'as she lay panting on the tawny, black-lined robe "'of the dead monster which stretched out beneath her, "'its rude, flattened outline, "'recalling the terror of the jungle "'as he crouched for his fatal spring. "'In a few moments her head drooped upon her arm "'and her glittering eyes closed. "'She was sleeping.' he stood looking at her still, steadily, thoughtfully, tenderly. Presently he lifted his hand to his forehead, as if recalling some fading remembrance of other years. Poor Catalina! This was all he said. He shook his head, implying that his visit would be in vain to-day, returned to his sulky and rode away, as if in a dream. End of chapter 10